Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Thank you, Dr. Lulu, for inviting me on. Hello, and welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. Buenas tardes. It's Friday. It's October 9, I want to say. And I don't know where you're going to, where you are or where you're going to be when you listen to this, but I have another brilliant, you know, you know, on my podcast, y'all know already that black folk are unicorns, right? But when I get a black girl that's rocking in the smartness department, that's a unicorn's unicorn. So today we have another blessed female black unicorns, unicorn, another sister doc, you know, what am I going to say? You know, I mean, it's what I do. You know, I'm so excited. Her name is Dr. Rhonda Maddox. She's going to be joining us today. She's in the U.S., so we're crossing the border, coming back this way. And she is an adult psychiatrist and and an integrative behavior psychiatrist. So you know what? These are big words. We're just going to let her break it down to bite-sized pieces. So doctor, sister doc, welcome sister. Thank you so much for joining us on my tiny little podcast. What's going on, sis? How are you? I am well. Thank you so much, Dr. Lulu, for inviting me on. I was thrilled to hear that you were doing such impactful work. As you know, in our community, many people think that Black people don't commit suicide, but in fact, our young men, uh, our young African-American men are are dying by suicide at rates equal to their white counterparts. So this is very much an impactful discussion that we need to be having during Mental Health Awareness Week. Yay! I am... Yes, and as you October 10 through 17 is Mental Health Awareness Week. But go ahead, sis. Go ahead. Yes. And as you said, I am an integrative behavioral health psychiatrist. I am a consultant to primary care docs. And what that means is that most people, as you're well aware, do not want to visit a psychiatrist. They want their treatment by their family medicine docs that they have relationships with, that they know care about them. But Family medicine docs and pediatricians are actually less likely to use evidence-based methods because they don't bring them back as quickly to check on them. You know, if you give somebody that's um, having thoughts of suicide a 90-day script, you've just equipped them with enough medicine to kill themselves. So I go in and I talk to primary care providers about using different strategies to bring them back more often 
to have their nurses check in with the people that they've given prescriptions to and to stay more connected with them. And especially if you've gone into the hospital for suicidal ideations, that next month is very critical and people are more likely to die by suicide after they've been discharged from a hospital. But you would be amazed at how many um, psychiatry facilities never connect with the family medicine docs to let them know this patient has been admitted and they don't get appointments until much later. And, 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 and then they don't even have the medical records. So my job is to work with family medicine docs on how to create systems so that people who are having suicidal ideations or very severe depression don't get lost. I know, I know they can't see me, but you, you saw my reactions. I was just like, oh my goodness, naming it nugget after nugget after freaking nugget. That little piece, I am a Gen Peds, you are so right. When I, when I, when I crossed over to the military is when I, I was forced to start dealing with patients that are depressed, like one-on-one. Cause I was like, for, when I was in private practice, I was smooth sailing. No, 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 make a U-turn if possible, go see the psychiatrist. And you're right. I don't know how long it took them to get into the psychiatrist cause we don't have enough. But yes, I'm so happy that you said we are not equipped with evidence-based. I love that. And, and you, knocked, you knocked that nail all the way down when you said the first 30 days. I nearly died when I saw that statistic. The first 30 <laughs> days after leaving the hospital, people are, I think they said 12 times or so many number more likely to die within that first 30 <laughs> days. <laughs> and then and if you think about it, mm-hmm. if you were a pediatrician or a psychiatrist, Uh, excuse me, a pediatrician or a family medicine doc, and you refer to a psychiatrist. Well, psychiatrists tend to practice in more metropolitan areas. So if you're in a rural area, then that person has to drive more than 60 miles, perhaps, to see a psychiatrist. And then the other piece is they're very concerned about being seen in a psychiatrist's office. I was on the platform with um, one of the Kennedy boys that's really, uh, really a strong advocate for mental health. And one of the things that he said was he had bipolar disorder, but he would park his car down the road and then walk to a psychiatrist's office because he was concerned about being being identified in a psychiatrist's office. So it was very stigmatizing for him to get that treatment. And even if you want the treatment, a lot of psychiatry clinics are closing down now. So it may be 45 days, 60 days before you can get an appointment with a, a therapist and then another 45 days before you actually see a psychiatrist. So what I tell the primary care docs is, no, you will not wait. You will not refer them to a psychiatrist and then wait on the psychiatrist to do something. You will start today, start some type of medication. You won't give them enough to harm themselves. You won't give them three or four refills. You will have a nurse to call and check on them within a week or two to see if they picked up the medicine, to see if they're having side effects. If they're not having side effects, um, but they've stopped the medicine to see why they stopped the medicine. Was it somebody advising them that you don't need this medicine, you need da 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 da. And so for me, it is about an integrative, comprehensive approach. We talk about diet and nutrition. I tell them, if you don't want to be on medicines, then you better be taking uh, eating um, diets high in omega-3 fatty acids. That's your, your fish. Um, and I don't care. It doesn't have to be the fancy fish. It can be salmon, tuna fish, sardines, mackerels. It didn't have to be expensive stuff. You know, you need a diet high in nuts. Um, 
you need some green leafy stuff, this magnesium rich that helps you with sleep and relaxation. Those are your, your green um, leafy vegetables like kale and spinach and that kind of stuff. And so I'm not telling you that you have to be on a diet, but I'm telling you, you have to increase what you're eating. And, and if you're like, you know, when I first started that, I would take some, some spinach, yeah, you know, just a handful of spinach, and I'd throw it in the blender with some almond milk. Then I put some honey in there and I throw some fruit in there and it can be canned fruit. And then I'd mix it up. And cause I don't like my, my smoothies looking green. I throw in a little bit of cocoa. So then I would put it in the freezer and it looked like smoothies or milkshakes. And it tastes really good. Cause I'd season with my honey now. And that's how I would get my green stuff. Now it didn't look green. It looked brown. It looked like I was having a milkshake and I'll even throw some almond in there. I mean, excuse me some um, avocados because I'm an avocado girl. So, so, you know, I will say it's about your, your diet. It's about your nutrition. It's about getting enough sleep. People who cannot sleep are more likely to die by suicide. People who um, are anxious are likely to die by suicide. People who are in chronic pain are likely to die by suicide. People who have had public humiliation like um, someone sending their, their very intimate photos or them being outed or family rejection. Those times are when people are more likely to die by suicide. So I train providers to pick up on those nuances. After someone has lost someone very important to them, like um, a partner of 40 years or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I had a guy, he was a teenager who um, had gone into the hospital because he broke up with his girlfriend. But his situation was, it was just not a breakup with a girlfriend. I mean, he had um, awful rejection issues by his father and um, had been accused of raping someone um, that was not this girl. And so it was very humiliating for him. And, 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 and he'd rather, and it's not, you know, people will say, well, you're just attention seeking. You don't really want to die. Well, in part, you're right. They don't really want to die, but they really want the pain to be over. They really don't want to live through this. And so that's the kind of thing. Those are the kind of nuances that I help primary care providers deal with, that I help parents recognize. Because the mom had left this boy at home two days by himself while she went. Now, he's at has only been out of the hospital for a week and a half, and she's leaving him at home by himself. Faux pas. No, no, don't do it. Stop, do not pass go. Now, Dr. Lulu, you see that I'm passionate about this. So let me let me take a, a, a breather and let you jump in. <laughs> oh my God, you are just killing it. This is everything I've been saying. Just even, I don't know where to start. Even just going back to that attention seeking piece. And I like to say it's more, it, it, one of the quotes I use in my TEDx talk was a suicide attempt is not a, a cry for attention is a cry for help. But if you call it a cry for attention, then what's the attention you're not giving? And I say, give them an attention. Give exactly. it to them. Exactly. Give it to them. What, what, what does attention cost? It doesn't cost anything. That's it. That's it. And if you want to call it attention, then that's fine. Give it to them because then that means, okay, indeed. But you know, in, a, in the world, attention seeking has a negative connotation. So that's why I bring, I bring it around. I say, but if you want to call it attention, fine. You need to give it to them because what are you not giving? One or two, a suicide attempt is not a cry for attention. It's a cry for connection. Find a way to connect with the kid. Oh, that's good. That's I mean, good. I mean, what, what do you want from me? Like, seriously. 
And you know what? Going back, oh my God, you just, you just, I love. What, do people know about you? Because I never heard anybody say the words just said to me that you actually help us with those skills that we need. I, okay, let them come back in three months or get a nurse to follow up with them. Why are they not taking their medication? Is someone trying to pray it away? I mean, what's going on? Black folk, mm -hmm. we're gonna go there. I don't. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go there because we'd be tossing the Bible. Look. I, this is this is my my thing or whatever um, for people who um, who are firm believers in the Bible. I will take them to Hezekiah when the prophet came to Hezekiah and said, "Get your house in order. You know, you're you're about to die." And then Hezekiah is recorded as saying, "You know, he turned his face to the wall and he cried out and he prayed." And the prophet turned back around and he said, "You know." You basically, your, your prayer has been, been answered. But then the prophet told him to apply figs to the boil, to his boils. Now, if you're talking to a person strong in faith, they always, always say God healed them, right? Healed him. But what they neglect to see is that he followed the instruction of the prophet. He applied figs to the boils. And one might even call that the medical modality of that day. And so we get really caught up in, I want God to heal me. But what we neglect is that uh, the, the scriptures record that sometimes Jesus spoke and he healed. Sometimes he prayed and he healed. Sometimes he spit and he applied the, the mud to the eye and he healed. The healing, all good and perfect gifts come from above, but it's about following the instruction for you. And so what worked for me, and this is a mistake that we made, we'll say, well, I just exercised and it went away and, and we'll instruct other people to do it. But what you don't realize is you had not been molested. You didn't have a thyroid abnormality. You weren't on steroids that can really impact your thinking. You know, you weren't in chronic pain, but I am. And so what worked for you might not work for me. And here's the thing. It does not mean that I don't have faith. Girl, you're killing, I, mic drop, that's it. Because I, I am, I think one of the reasons, another reason I said in my podcast is because I fall into like six or seven of the categories. For my ACE score, I have like a seven, okay? I was molested when I was nine. I was raped when I was in medical school. I'm a domestic abuse thriver. I was in the military, that has its own, okay? I have been suicidal, actively suicidal. I'm divorced, okay? I have chronic illness, chronic pain, aka fibromyalgia. I don't know where the heck that came from. And I just last two weeks had surgery on my C-spine for C-spine stenosis with chronic radiculopathy. So if you think there's someone who, and I'm an immigrant, I'm a veteran. I mean, I just check, and I'm a physician. Hello, black woman with three sons. How do you want to come at me? How do you want to come at me? Like I'm literally walking suicide person picture in the, in the, in the dictionary. But I'm here. I know. I've been. I've done the time when I was looking for. I was on my on my on my convertible, in my convertible. I was driving at 85 to 95 miles an hour. I had no seatbelt on. I was looking for an opening. I was trying to make it look like a good solid accident. I don't okay. care what you say. I was intoxicated. Whatever. After the fact. But I'll be gone by then. I don't drink. I never drank a day in my life. But I know they're gonna. 
find a way to explain because that's random. What, what do you mean she drove off? She must have been high on something. Fine. But I was just, I was just trying to leave. I know. And you make a good point though. Yeah. What, what many people will do is because they don't want the stigma, stigma on their legacy of dying by suicide. And so what my, my cousin actually did was he made the cops um, shoot him. Okay. And, 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 and it was a very public and traumatizing thing. And so there are people who have actively constructed a death by suicide in the way that you talk about in car accident. Um, or, you know, I remember my first year of residency doing inpatient work, um, a young man who had been in foster care, who was a victim of sexual assault um, as a child um, had gone and he reached for the police officer's gun. They, they, he wanted them to kill him. And I remember we were going um, for the involuntary commitment and he told the judge, I promise if you let me out, you will never see me again. And that sent chills through our spines because we knew he meant he wasn't going to mess it up this time. Yes. You understand what I'm saying? But I so, love what you said because that's one of the signs of suicidal behavior is talking about suicide. Right. Reading about suicide, writing about suicide, asking questions. And again, because I'm a pediatrician, I always go down there. I had a patient one time, no, I'm a, a client, um, a guest one time, whose son asked his mother, what happens when people kill themselves? Asked his father, what does the Bible say about suicide? His poetry teacher noticed that he was writing dark poetry. His um, lacrosse instruct coach or whatever noticed that his mood has become lighter and he was happier. And then they watched Dead Poets Society and he, his suicide was exactly identical to the one of the kid in the movie. So when kids start asking, but you know what happened? None of those four people spoke to each other. The mother didn't tell the father that dude was asking about suicide. Father didn't tell the mother that dude was asking what the Bible says about people that kill themselves. You know, so we need to be more careful about picking those soft, if you want to call them soft, I call them hard signs because normal happy children have no business asking questions about death. And I'm going to tell you, when you survive um, someone else's death by suicide, it is so traumatic. Is one of the high risk factors for, for suicide is a suicide death survivor. That's the next person. The right. highest risk factor is a prior suicide attempt. The next highest risk is a suicide attempt, um, suicide death survivor. So that means your immediate family members. And mm -hmm. it was interesting because um, one of my cousins died by suicide and she chose the anniversary of her mother's death. And she lived in Houston and I lived um, in another part of the country. And I remember just thinking, I should have known. I should have known. You know, the truth of the matter is we were no longer close. We didn't keep in touch. There was no way I would have known because we weren't connected anymore. But after it happens, it doesn't, you know, it may end your pain, but it passes your pain onto your survivors to everyone who loves you. So the pain doesn't end. Say that you again, just place over the back. Oh my God. Yeah. And again, and but 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 I have to put this little caveat here. I went to one of my son's schools to speak and then 
counselors came and said, yeah, well, isn't that selfish? I want people to know right now, no one that kills themselves is thinking, here, let me pass the pain. I want you to know right. that. But after they've died, the truth is that is what happens. But I want you to know right now that if you are right. killing yourself, nobody in this space is judging right. you. Again, right. like I said earlier, we don't know your pain. If I don't open my mouth and list all my pains to you, you will never know. Right. And I say that because of all of the guilt that happens from those who survive that who love that person, because I don't know anyone who's had a loved one who died by suicide, who didn't say, I should have known, I should have seen, I should have done something, you know, and, and it, it's also, yeah, so you have this guilt. But then there's this also stigmatizing thing or whatever. You know, I've heard people say, I would rather them have died from cancer or to have died in a car accident or whatever, because then, and, and they'll put the afterlife on there, then they might've gone to heaven. Now I'm worried that they, they wouldn't. And, and what I tell those people, and let me be clear, I'm no Bible scholar, but what <laughs> I will tell you is that when my daughter does something wrong, well, this is one of the things, you know, as you're growing up and you, you heard people who have kids and they'll say, oh, it's nap time for her. She's really cranky or, oh, she hasn't eaten yet. And so, you know, loving moms will make excuses for their kids when they've done something that they didn't agree with. Now, if it's someone else's kids, you call them bad. But when it's your child, you make excuses for them. Well, if you have a dad who knows all of their circumstances, um, a dad in your, your father in heaven who knows all of your circumstances. I can't say that, you know, where you were going eternally and you can't either. So why don't you just take your mind and your mouth off of their eternal destination and leave that into the hands of um, the of creator of their souls. Whose job it is to do that. And, but the, it was, isn't that the most human side of us, especially, I'm just going to go there. And I used to teach Bible study when I was young. So it's not even about that, but I'm going to go there because Christians, we tend to be very, very judgmental and it's just sad, but it's true. And sometimes we're so fixated on the afterlife. We miss like, you know, like in Nigeria, for instance, I, I was, I just, I watched a little skit the other day. This guy came and said his uncle just died and it was a skit, but he said he wanted to have to get a helicopter to bring the corpse and we're going to do this the whole funeral party in the, this huge field in the in the village or whatever and then one of the relatives got up and said shut up where were you when he was sick and dying and just needing money for medication and now you want to do this fantastic grand funeral for him where he's already dead so something similar to that i wish we would focus more on us on each other right now what we can do for each other that, you know leave the afterlife for the after even jesus himself said that give the coin to caesar that belongs to caesar and give to god you know and 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 therefore just focus on me right now here and now loving each other you know, appreciating each other, seeing each other, believing each other, that we're not faking it, you know. And, and I tell people, I'm not in the business of suicide prevention. I'm in the business of giving people something to live for, of helping them remember there's something to live for. I don't have to prevent suicides if I help you recall why you're here, 
I help you reconnect with your purpose and your mission and what drives you and what gives you joy. I don't have to worry about preventing suicide if I can reconnect you with your life's mission, your destiny, your purpose. It doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. That's a nice quote. I don't have to worry about preventing suicide because if you can just connect with goals, because of those thoughts in your mind telling you that you're not good enough, all my, I have to just remind you, but wait, I, for instance, for me, I was accomplished doctor, accomplished mother with three sons thriving. I was in the US Air Force, a black female Lieutenant Colonel. That's like rare. And all of that, I didn't see any of that. All I saw was, yeah, but you're divorced. But yeah, you're Nigerian. You have no business being divorced. What would they say about you? You're, you know, you know, nobody, because those are the things that people ask me. What do you mean you're getting a divorce? Like, what did he do? And no one asked me, is that what I'm thinking? I don't know. No one asked me about me. They just asked about him forgetting that weight. Maybe he did something that made me, whatever, you know, like just, just, just holding space for me as someone who is rational. What do you mean? Who do you know in your family that's ever been divorced before? We, we don't get, it's, it's, not a, it's not a thing that we do. And, you know, things like that, that just don't make any sense. And then, so all of that is what I kept thinking about. I didn't think about, wait, I left because after 13 years of emotional abuse, I was homicidal in the marriage. I was homicidal. Not suicidal, homicidal. And yet, and I was like, if I don't get out of here, I live in South Carolina, I'm gonna be death sentence or life. I'm out, I'm out of this marriage. I'm getting away while I can, you know? And, and, and you, we haven't even brought in the genetic component. We haven't brought, brought in the nature versus nurture. In fact, if you are raised in a home where your parents had severe mental illness, whether that be severe depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Um, if you're raised in a home with a family members that, that had substance abuse, if you're raised in a home where you witnessed your mother and your father or your caregivers fighting, if you're raised in a home where you're verbally abused day in, day out, physically abused, sexually abused, you know, those kinds of things where one of your parents or your caretakers went to prison. And that's what Dr. Lulu was talking about when she was talking about adverse childhood experiences. When you're raised in, in those homes and you have, um, you know, one of them or four of them or all of them, your risk for smoking increases exponentially. Your risk for drinking alcohol and making impulsive um judgments and decisions that impact your health long-term, it's exponentially increased. Your risk for heart disease and, and, and GI complaints, your risk for depression and all of those things go up. Your risk for suicide goes up. So I want to make it crystal clear that it is not weak to seek help. It's not an issue of your faith to, if you're depressed or whatever, when people, you know, sometimes people will say, what's wrong with me? And I'm not interested in what's wrong with you. I'm interested in what you've gone through. Because if I hear about what you've gone through, then what I can help you understand is you are not weak and it's not about being weak or strong. It is about you are a human who are, and you're having a human response 
to trauma that no one, not child nor adult, should have to go through. And when you had that response, and certainly if you were much younger, then your response is going to be exponentially um, more than if you were an adult. But as an adult, you're still going to have a response. And so what is happening is many times we cover it up. We protect the person that harmed us. We protect our parents. And then it's like, um, it's in the scriptures, it says, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. If you don't release that, then your body will cry out. You know, you will have, you know, GERD and migraines and lupus and fibromyalgia. And let me not be clear. I'm not saying if you have those things, it means that you've been traumatized. But I'm seeing whenever I see someone who has migraine headaches, fibromyalgia, lupus, all of those things, I dig into their trauma history. And I can't tell you how frequently I see that there truly, truly is a trauma history. And so I say to them, my job here is to help you sleep, to help you concentrate, to help you be more productive. But what you are going to need is to do some emotional healing and some spiritual healing. And so you have to be connected to a therapist and I prefer trauma informed therapists. You have to get connected with that so you can pull out um, what's happened. Because when you're in survival mode, you emotionally numb to protect yourself because it's not safe to have feelings. And, 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 and you can be very angry with God and think, how could a loving God let me go through this? And so you need some spiritual healing many times as well, because how are you going to say our father in heaven and say the Lord's prayer when your father molested you? And so your concept of what a father is, the father God has been impacted negatively by your, your physical father molesting you. And, and you take a hint to that. And so having the spiritual healing and the emotional healing is equally, if not more important, than a medication side. Now, a lot of people will shy away from medicines, but what I'm going to tell you is if you are hearing voices, I, I can't pray that away for you. I'm not telling you you can't pray, but I'm going to tell you, I can, nip, I can nip it in the bud within a week or two, whereas people who are praying may not, you know, it, it may be years. I mean, we have to, we have to state that sometimes, I mean, I know what's going on in the world right now. We're not believing science, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I give us science for a reason. I mean, you just have to. Yeah. Science does have a role to play in the Absolutely. Thing. Absolutely. Now, if you go to my Facebook page, I talk about natural ways to go to sleep. I talk, you know, if you go to different, you know, I've written extensively. I mean, I've lectured extensively about insomnia, you know, and, and how to do it without, you know, medicine. However, if you've gone five to six days without sleep, I promise you I'm not recommending exclusively a weighted blanket or lavender fragrance or, or omega-3 fatty acid rich diets. No, if you've not slept for five or six days, I'm recommending medicine Hello. with no apology, with no apology, you know? That is so powerful. I'm just enjoying listening to you and just enjoying listening to you. Whoa, I have, I don't think, I mean, you're like, I don't know, like my 90th or 90 something interview, but I know that you are saying some things that my listeners have not heard before. So you just kind of sometimes have to just come out and just say it and just take the sting from it so we can heal, so we can move forward. And you nailed it, fibromyalgia. I'm like, what the fuck? 
is that? But I have it. Why? All my history of trauma. My marriage was so toxic. I cannot tell you. I can't explain it in words. And that's why I haven't been able to write my memoir because I can't even describe just how much pain I was in, the psychic pain. That's and let me tell you something. I, I can't tell you how many patients that I have who are almost suicidal as they're writing their memoirs because they're having to go back down that traumatic memory lane. And so I really will, will many times encourage them to, to hop into therapy so that you can unpeel um, away that onion layer of, of whatever, because you start to feel, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I, and the reason I know this is because I'm writing as well. Um, and I'm writing this book, God Heard My Cry. Okay. And as I wrote that book and I journeyed back into my childhood, um, the difference was I had a daughter that was my age. So the stuff that I was writing about that I had assumed complete responsibility for, well, then I also had a daughter that age. And so I was realizing I could not have offered consent at that age. I could not have wanted it at that age. Yeah. I was not thinking about it at that age. And it gave me a fresh perspective to realize, no, 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 no. You know, um, you were in your age of innocence, right? And so as you're writing, and particularly if you have kids, you're looking at your kids and you're wanting to protect them from the things that you've gone through. Mm -hmm. And you will um, get so paranoid sometimes that you steal their childhood and you steal their innocence and trying to protect them from what you've gone through. And so your memoir writing um, can take you to a place that you don't wanna go. So make sure that you have a nice navigation guide um, so that you don't stay there. I don't even think I'm ready to write my memoir. I mean, I keep thinking about it because I'm reading someone, another girl's memoir right now. And I, I can only take maybe 20 minutes of her memoir. I can't. <laughs> so toxic what she's talking about the abuse that she oh my god but she's a therapist right now and she's thriving I don't even know if I'm ready because if I'm going to write a memoir I, I, I might have to skip that part you know just just the depth of pain because yeah the only thing yeah I, my body, I'll tell you is it's a process I mean I started writing mine I think in 2008 it's 2020 and I've chosen not to publish because and when I started writing it, I was not healed. Now I've walked through the healing process. Um, and I remember my, my stylist, I, I left some at her shop and she called and said, hey, you left some of your book there. And immediately my heart sank. And I was thinking, what part did I leave there? And it made me understand, if you are concerned about one person seeing it, you're not ready for the world to see it. That is true. I'm, I'm actually ready as far as the world to see it. I'm just not ready to write it because I have like three other books. And by the way, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a book writing coach and I've written, I'm, I just finished writing my third book. This, I mean, it was a blog that kind of went semi-viral. It's called How to Teach Your Children About Racism. And so I just stopped because someone was like, oh, this will make a good book. And so I made that, in, I made that into a book. So that book just got done in July. So I'm just relaxing before I finish my originally third book, which is what if my child is a bully? 
I'll finish that because now school, it was supposed to be ready for August, but then school is kind of weird now anyway. So I don't know. It was no longer relevant in my mind, as relevant as my book and as the racism book is. But just, just talking about being able to write, I'm so happy, happy that you write because writing I found for me and my patients has been such a good, even if you don't want to publish it, just putting the putting it in words and just leaving it on the on, 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 on a piece of paper somewhere, whatever, in a journal takes a lot of the sting out. So anyone who's listening, just know that that is one of the things that you can do for self-therapy, just being able to get as descriptive as you can and cry if you have to, but write it and get it out of your mind. You know, I think that will help you. Do you recommend that to your... To your... I actually, I recommend starting um, with a journal. And, and one of the things I will tell people who, you know, have ADHD or whatever, um, and I'll say, you know, we're going to write this book and I'm going to say um, bottom backwards or the A word backwards. Okay. So what you do is you start and I'll just call it take five. You start with five minutes to where you're just telling your story on a zoom with nobody listening for five minutes. And then you come back and you listen to it. And then the next um, day or two, you tell us you, after you're listening to it, you're kind of jotting down oh, well, I should have said this, or I should have left this out, or I should have added that. And then you go back and you zoom it again. And this time you tell it in a different way. And then a day or so later, you go back and you listen to it. And it's hard to listen to it because you're judging yourself harshly, right? But you're listening for content, not whatever. And then you jot it down. And so what you're doing is you're, you're telling your story and then you're having it transcribed and then you send it to an editor to publish. So many people think they have to be good writers, but what you need is a good story. Your editor, you need a good story and a good editor. You don't have to be the good editor. Don't chronically revise. And I'm telling you this as a chronic reviser, okay? Don't chronically revise. You get your story out of your body onto Zoom, you get it transcribed. You can pay um, a 10th grader to transcribe it for you, or you can get someone to transcribe it for you. Um, or you can use like Google Voice or something and get it and have it transcribed. And then you get it to an editor and voila, you have an ebook. That's good, or even Fiverr, that's good. A, go, go ahead, go ahead. And what when you say, or even what? I was saying, or even Fiverr, you know, one of those where they have all the people, Fiverr.com where they have like people Upwork and Fiverr, where they have low, very, for like five bucks. Do you know about Fiverr.com? Okay, so they have like just freelancers that do everything from everything to everything. I'm having my book, my, the lady that did the voice for my podcast, I just found her on Fiverr for like, I don't know, less than like 25 bucks. And she did the voice recording because I loved her voice and the way it sounds. So she's going to do my book my audiobook for me. They're cheap, they're available, they're freelancers, and there are millions of them on there. Fiverr.com with two Vs, I think. Is okay. But yeah, I like that. I like that aspect because we will get stuck in editing. So when I say, well, I say just your first, your first um, draft is just, just brain dump. And mm -hmm. then second draft, if you must, is just to check for grammar. But we will get stuck in editing. And even I, the book, writing coach I could barely finish this book because I was like oh my god is it gonna be good enough and then I got what 59 five-star reviews so far I'm like oh my god I guess it's good but you know that's that's us you know that's humans and yeah. so my, my job is to tell them to do not do not look back you will turn to salt like literally don't stop <laughs> 
don't look back. You will turn to salt. And then that way you can finish writing the book and then, and then put it out there just as is and just assume that it's never going to be good enough if you stay. It's not called best written book. It's called best sold, right? So you got to write it. And just sell it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wow. Doc has been awesome. Been awesome just hanging out with you today. You have so many nuggets and just so relatable. I'm so glad you're a psychiatrist because I can see how I could tell you everything. I think I did. <laughs> you know, I think you're definitely doing what you were born to do. I, you know, I wish I could get rid of my fibromyalgia. I definitely agree with you because sometimes I think about the fact that it's never going to go away. And yeah, I mean, you do get suicidal thoughts. Like, you know, you have to live with this forever, but then it's not cancer. So I have to remind myself as a doctor that it's not cancer and it could be worse. It could be a brain tumor. And there are people that, you know, the Steve Jobs who have come and done what they have to do and got out. Jesus, 33 years old, boom, get out. And people mm -hmm. have, come and have done what they had to do and left. The fact that Martin freaking Luther King was not even 40, I think was he like 40 or 39 or something, 42, something young man. But yeah. look at the impact. So I remind myself of that. When, when I start feeling that, I go back and say, you know what, this person is so-and-so, you know, and Frank, you know, people like this, they they, they they came, they did what they had to do and they got out and they left their Princess Diana. Young people came, did what they had to do, left their mark and got out. So I have to keep reminding myself that, you know. And they didn't have Facebook and they didn't have Twitter and they didn't have Google Transcribe and they didn't have Fiverr. They didn't have any of that, but they were so impactful. And it reminds you, that you know that you need to make use of the tools that you have in a way that can save and transform lives. Absolutely, it doesn't get any better than that, and that's one of the reasons. I every time I, I I talk about my podcast, I'm like, oh my god, is anybody listening? And then I get an email from someone that's like, oh, thank you so much for this. I'm like, okay, so so one person is listening. You know, I have to keep reminding myself that why am I doing this? I'm not doing this so everybody listens. It's so that the right one person will listen. And, and for that, it's priceless. Wow. So where can the listeners find you? Talking about listening. Where yes. Can okay. So if you're on Facebook, you can find me at Dr. Rhonda, R-H-O-N-D-A, M-A-T is in Tom, T-O-X. If you're on Twitter, you can find me at, at Dr. Rhonda Maddox. If you're on Instagram, you can find me at, at Dr. Rhonda Maddox, D-R-R-H-O-N-D-A-M-A-T-T-O-X. I'm on LinkedIn as what? at Dr. Rhonda Maddox. So I keep my platforms the same across all places. I'll tell you on Facebook and Instagram, I frequently post about sleep and parenting and relationships and stuff like that, sexual intimacy, erectile dysfunction, whatever. So you can find um, some things on there. And um, I definitely come from um, a space of being um, respectful to people who are spiritual and who have strong religious beliefs. I, I personally am definitely a spiritual um, person as well. So, Wow. Thank you so much. I mean, there's so many words said, so many words unsaid. And whoever is listening, I know if you're coming from a good place, you will understand fully what she said. I mean, just I just love that you were so transparent and just and then you, you really did not mince words. How do you mince words when you're thinking about stories? You can't. You have to be direct and but coming from a place of compassion and then just knowing that 
and just holding space for whoever is struggling with whatever they're struggling with. Thank you so much, Dr. Rhonda Maddox. Oh my God, it's been amazing. It's oh been my, my pleasure. <laughs> Right, listeners, you know what? This is Dr. Lulu, aka the Momatrician. I was on a podcast earlier in the week, and the lady was like, Oh, I'm only going to do 20 or 30 minutes, and that's it. Because, you know, she said, Because, you know, the average, you know, time to drive to your work commute time is 30 minutes. And then I asked, I said, well, who's, who's driving to work right now? We're all working from home. But more importantly, I told her, I said, My podcast is not regulated for time because, you know, it's like I'm reading Obama's seven hour book on um the audacity of hope you know and after 30 minutes on my way back i listened to some more 30 minutes i mean you know it's, it is what it is so it's however long length of time it takes for you to get the message and then you can always press rewind and then listen to it again so y'all you know thank you so much for joining us for writing on our page i am so delighted that i got to meet you another sister blazing trails in just very unusual territory integrated with integrative medicine is just amazing and thank you for leading the way for us you know in the general practice um that you know we don't know any better or we're trying to get to know right so wow I usually let you go after you give me one nugget, maybe one final, ah, not final, advice, word of, you know, you know, message for the yes. listeners. So my message is this, burn your superwoman and your superman cape. That cape is filled with other people's expectations of who you are, who you should be. It's really not a cape, it's really a weighted blanket and it's keeping you from flying high into your destiny. And so burn your, your superwoman good faith, burn your strong friend, burn your, you know, I'm stronger than that. And, and, and be able to say no to people because when you're saying no to them and their good idea, you're saying yes to your God idea. That is where your purpose and your profit lies. So please burn those superwoman capes, superman capes, Say no, practice saying no at least three times a day. Practice disappointing people so you can realize that you won't go up and smoke and combust because you've disappointed someone because you do not want to be a public success and a private failure. So you saying no to people allows you to be available to the family that you say is your priority. Oh my God, so deep and powerful we have to end there i can't we have to end y'all this is dr lulu aka the mom attrition who i gotta sign out that's it peace out i'll see y'all later that was too good <laughs>